Cooper, you're famous. Wow. Well, uh, secrets out, Zach. How does it feel? Weird. Yeah. Feels weird and good. It's, and it's weird to good. be famous, a famous podcaster, because <laughs> yeah. no one knows your face, but they know your booming voice. They know these vocals, man. They do. T- t- tell the story. Inform the listeners. So, ladies and gentlemen, this year I am doing a residency program through a church that I attend, the church that I attend, called Watermark. Yeah, it's a community church one. in Dallas. And I am going to be going on a 10-month expedition through God's Word. Oh, wow. I'm using the word expedition. They don't. That's not anywhere oh, on their pamphlets. not very cheesy like that? No, that's just personally. That's, it's, for cheesy. me personally, it's an expedition. Oh, okay, good. But that's neither here nor there. You Why see, not safari? Um, yeah, like an African safari with like lions and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, any hoosies. <sighs> well, we were having some Welcome Week activities and there were some people there. Course. That I'm going to be doing this Your co-adventurers. Yeah, my, my co-adventurers. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly right. And um, at we were at this backyard having dinner, and a girl's like, "Wait, you're are you like Cooper? Cooper from the Next Generation Leader podcast?" <laughs> no, I'm she like, did not say that. Yes, I am. So apparently, her friend. Also, I don't know her, and right. you don't know her. No, I've never met. The girl. And she's not from the Philippines. Wow, we have American uh, listeners. So we have some American <laughs> listeners. But she said, like, she's heard about it through a mutual, like, through a friend who I think worked at camp with you that you kind of know. Wow. And she was like, I thought your voice sounded familiar. No But I way. just, I didn't, I couldn't place it. And she's like, now that I know you're Cooper, it's like, I cannot unhear it. Wow. I don't want to say names. I don't yeah, want to expose mean, anyone. Yeah. But she was like a very gracious fan. She That's was amazing. like, she was saying that she loves the work that we're doing. I asked her if she'd followed us on Instagram. She said no. So I helped <laughs> her. Plug. I helped her follow us on Instagram. And if That's you exactly don't follow right. us on Instagram, go follow us on Instagram. Right. That's exactly right. Next Gen Leader Pod. That's right. NXT. NXT. G-E-N. Leader. Pod. Pod. On Instagram. And I asked her if she left a review. She said no also. <laughs> but she's going to. Okay, good. And also all of, well, actually she listens on Spotify. Oh, so all I you see. Apple Music listeners, if you would please go in her stead and yes. leave a review. It really does help us out so much. Yes, it really does. We hate to be those guys that ask, but yeah. here we are. Humbly <laughs> before you the listeners it. <laughs> asking. It does, yeah, it does help us a lot. Well, Cooper, I mean, how, how do you feel? Like, how are you responding to like your newcomb fame? Like, what what does this look like for you? Can we still be friends? Yeah, I mean. I, I considered breaking off and starting my own. Wow. <laughs> Calling it the uh, Advanced Generation <laughs> Leader Podcast. Yeah. Where advanced- Interviewing young people for old people. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Exactly. And uh, I just decided to stick with the basics, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you're still around. I'm here. I decided to sit down, stay here, and uh, I mean, I'm back from Branson, Missouri. You're back. Welcome home. No more awkward car rides or yeah. Zoom calls. Yeah. Ugh. Your voice sounds amazing back on the mic. Thank you. I just I'm looking into your eye sockets I as I have it. this conversation. I've missed you. I missed you as well. And we uh, we actually also, if we want to just add on, welcome home. We just finished eating some molten lava cake. We from did Chili's. We did. <laughs> we went to Chili's tonight. and the experience was subpar. Yeah, the food yeah. was as expected. It was good. It was good as expected. Microwavable cake, but our, it was really good. Our waiter just didn't nail it. No, but there's hope for for. There's hope. 
for the next. And know. I mean, that's what happens when you become super famous. You expect more out of your that's, waiters. I guess that's fair. That's probably and un- unfair. He didn't know who we he were. He didn't see your face. He, he didn't, didn't get to talk to him. He didn't realize how much you would be able to tip him because right. you're just, I mean, you're rolling. I mean, it. we have made zero dollars on this podcast. No, 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 no. We've made negative dollars. That's true, actually. We have. But that's okay. That's not the point. It's not the point. That's it's about the fans and the fame. That's I'm right. just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> anyway, molten lava cake. Coop, it's good to have you back. Ugh. You and your famous face, Thank famous you. self, famous well, voice. Famous voice. I've That's been right. told I have a face for radio. You do. So. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, the famous, the one, the only, Cooper McCullough. Please, please, hold your applause. <laughs> hold your applause. We're doing a podcast, guys. <laughs> it's, it's good to be here. Set. It's Quite good to be set. here. We are live. Gosh, welcome it's home. Just crazy fans, man. It's uh, good to be. It's good to be back. Just the ravaging our apartment here. The sweet air. It's sweeter of Dallas, Texas. It's sweeter here, Dallas, Texas. Yes, Dallas. there was some confusion. There has been a little confusion on where we do this, where we're based. We're based in Dallas, Texas. D town, hold it down, Dallas, hold Texas. It down, Bay Bay, the Lone Star State. Well, Cooper, we like to joke around a lot on this we, podcast. We have uh, a lot of fun. I'm pretty good at it, and so are you. And we love doing it. It's my favorite thing about you. <laughs> I'm concerned. I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, we like to joke around. We like to have a lot of fun. But some di- some days we have more serious episodes. That's exactly and that's right. Today. Uh, and we're actually being serious when we say that. I kind of feel like I sound joking, but no, but genuinely, like this, this is, is our, our nation is in an interesting spot. Yeah, 2020 has been a year. It has indeed. It's and been so, a year, and I mean, it seems like every time we turn around, every day I turn on the news, read the news, there's something new that's coming to right, us. There's something right. new that's punching us in the gut, and we're just. I feel like our country is crying out for unity. We're crying out for Christian leaders to step up and say. Life is bigger than these futile issues, That's right? And there's hope that we can look to. And I've I've said this a lot to Abby, my fiance, is I'm so thankful that we get to go and walk through this time with the hope of Jesus in the future. Absolutely. I can't imagine walking through this without hope. Right. And I think that's the reason, not I think, I know that's the reason we can joke on a podcast, even in these crazy times, that we can still have eternal joy because of the eternal perspective we get to have. Yeah. And one of the issues we've been having in our country is this issue of race and uh, the issue after the the tragic death of George Floyd. Yeah. Months ago, it's ensued and riots everywhere. And and it's really, it's spiraled to way more than race. I Mm -hmm. feel like we've lost that the peaceful protest we've we've lost that core of of where it was and and if we go back in our nation's history i i cannot sit right here and say that america's original sin was slavery it was terrible yeah and from that we have i think we have made tremendous strides to reconcile and, mm-hmm. and obviously we've gone up and down it's taken years and years and we're we still have. on the road and we're still on the road to fully reconciling and and uh, i mean you see the march on washington in the 60s but i think today's podcast is a story of hope a story of grace a story of reconciliation that the world needs to hear that's exactly and right like this story is what the people around us, the people we go to school with, the people we interact with every day are crying out for yeah. is to for white brothers and sisters and black brothers and sisters to join hands in unity and say, we are out of many one. Um, e pluribus unum is the, yeah. the creed of our country. That's right. And I mean, the, the melting pot is we are the most diverse country in the world. Yeah. And we should celebrate that. And it's amazing. Right. But today's episode, we have Matt Lockett and Will Ford. We got two people on the yeah. pod today. Interesting relationship. Very interesting relationship. Best friends. I don't want to spoil their whole story. They tell it beautifully. That's what the whole podcast is about. But essentially, to give you a teaser, Matt Lockett's family, his heritage, his ancestors back in the day, 
owned Will Ford's family back in the day as slaves. Yeah. Unbelievable. Absolutely. That, that you would even figure this out. Yes. The ancestry. And they, they figured out after 10 years of doing ministry together. Yeah. They find out that this is it. Not only that, the Civil War ended in Matt Lockett's front yard. Wow. Like, what his ancestors' yeah, yeah, yeah. front yard. They also met on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Lincoln, the great emancipator. Wow. Also where MLK gave his I Have a Dream yes, speech. Yes, yes. In that speech, he says, I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will join hands and join at the table of brotherhood. Yeah. And we literally have, Cooper, the manifestation of, of MLK's dream wow. on our podcast. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful story, and it's what our country's crying out for. Right. And I would say as you're listening, please take the effort to listen through untainted lenses. Yeah. I think there's a lot of cultural bias and things that are being said by a lot of different people. So I would encourage you to kind of lay those aside and just listen to the experience of these two people. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing reconciliation. Again, we point everything back to Jesus. Go read uh, the scripture, what God says about each and every human that we are created in his image to serve him. We are his masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10, that we we are created in his image to do works for him and point people to him and everything. And this story is hope. This story is redemption. And this is what our country is about. So I'm excited to share it with you. I'm excited. Let's let's make it happen. Let's do it. Without further ado, here they are, Will Ford and Matt Lockett. Will and Matt, thank you so much for being on. I'm, I'm just excited and honored to get to talk to y'all. I've heard y'all's story a couple times. I've listened to a few uh, interviews y'all have done, and it, it astonishes me every time. And, and it's it's beautiful. And it's wonderful. But I want y'all to tell it, and I just want to be here to listen and to learn from y'all. So just want to start with, with you, Will. Uh, just kind of tell your story before leading up to meeting Matt. Just who are you? What do you do? Uh, explain yourself. Well, I'm... Uh a father to uh, to Benjamin, Samuel, Amanda, and Joshua, married to an amazing woman, De Havilland, Venice Ford. And uh, we're living in the Dallas area. Been traveling and speaking on prayer, unity, and revival for about 25 years. Mm. Uh, spent seven years of that working at Christ for the Nations Institute as the chair of the Marketplace Leadership major. And I've uh, devoted myself to, you know, dive into fully just uh, healing. Uh, the division in our culture right now. Our culture needs healing. And I believe right. the message of Christ's love and, and the forgiveness that comes through his cross. And I, I, I just really think that that can be used right now in very applicable ways right. to transform society. So I'm throwing myself into that with this, uh, this guy who's uh, uh, we have an, uh, on the other line in D.C. <laughs> and you just got a, an upgrade of job. I heard of, of you're the groomer of um, Matt Lockett's beard. So I don't know if you want to, if that's public knowledge yet, I don't know if we're breaking news here, but uh, Matt, I, get an amen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Matt me, <laughs> I love it. Up to you. Kind of tell your story. Who are you? What, what are you up to? Yeah. What I do right now is I direct a prayer ministry in Washington, DC. It's called the justice house of prayer. And we're located right on Capitol Hill. We've been here for almost 16 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got thrown into what's called the prayer movement, kind of head first without much warning or preparation. Um, about 15 years ago, I, I joined up with a man named Lou Engel, who founded this house of prayer. And uh, it's got a real special focus on praying for our governmental leaders, 
with a very special focus on praying for the Supreme Court. So I've been doing this for about 15 years, but God called me out of the marketplace uh, before that. And, uh, you know, I was uh, serving in a local church, volunteer youth leader, things like that. But then uh, God called me to be a full-time missionary in Washington, D.C. And I usually just tell people, hey, somebody's got to go to the hardest and darkest. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I was actually, I've had a conversation with Senator James Lankford uh, from, from Oklahoma, and he said something very similar. He said people were calling him crazy as he was announcing that he was going to Capitol Hill. He's going to be in Congress. And he said, I would just look back at him and I would say, you know what? You're so right. It is so out of God's character to send light to dark places. And I was like, wow, that is so just powerful and good. But he, as he used said, to be a youth pastor. I know. He was a, a camp director, youth pastor, and now he's just saving our, our country up there in DC. But he's we were also man. talking about you are probably in the best business to be in right now. The the most essential of all businesses through this time is the prayer ministry of the government. And you can invite everyone to, to join you in that. I, I love it. I love what you get. Lots of job security. <laughs> I love it. Well, I, I kind of want to just dive into y'all's story because y'all are from two separate places, but your stories are very interwoven through your genealogy, through your, uh, through your ancestry. So I uh, kind of want to know, I mean, Matt, we can go up to you. Where, where did y'all meet? How did this intersection happen? And then we kind of work our way back to where it came from. Sure. Actually, instead of starting with me, it's probably better to start with Will because he's got a little more uh, history that sets the stage. Okay, let's let's do it, Will. For for me, what happened is the whole thing got started through uh, honestly about two hundred years ago. Something got started in terms of being passed down in my family. I have a two hundred year old kettle pot that was used by the slaves in my family. They used it for cooking. They were Christians, and they secretly used it for prayer. Mm. So uh, what they would do is they go into this barn to pray at night for freedom because they had this slave master who, unfortunately, at that time would beat them for any reason. Praying was one of them. It's like the irony of, of uh, slavery during that time period is that they wanted their slaves to be Christians because they knew that Christian slaves made better workers. <laughs> but they would pervert the gospel and say, slaves, be obedient to your masters right. if, if you want to go to heaven. So... Uh, so, uh, uh, of course we know that's not true because we're saved by grace through faith and the works is a gift of God. So no, so boast, but it was easy to teach slaves that back then because it was against the law for slaves to read and write. It's also against the law for anybody to teach them how to read and write. Mm. And the irony of the peculiar institution of slavery is that they wanted them to be Christians, but they didn't want them to pray because they felt like prayer would foster hope. and thought if they got hopeful, they'd try to run away. So they would literally be beaten if they were caught praying. But these folks in my family, they were Christians, and they decided to pray anyway. So what they would do is they sneak into this barn at night to make sure their prayer meeting wasn't seen. But to make sure it wasn't heard, they used this cast iron kettle pot. And they would take that pot and invert it, turn it upside down on the cabin floor, and then prop it up with rocks by three or four so it would be suspended off the ground about an inch or two. They would then lay flat on the ground and put their lips in between the opening between the ground and the kettle so that the kettle pot muffled their voices as they prayed through the night. Mm. And the story that was passed down with the pot is that they didn't think they would see freedom in their time. So they prayed for the freedom of the children and the next generation. So one day freedom comes. There's this young teenage girl who decided to keep that pot and that story and our family. And uh, she passed the pot and the story down to Harriet Lockett. Harriet Lockett passed it on to Nora Lockett. 
Noah Lockett passed it on to William Ford Sr., who then gave it to William Ford Jr., who then gave it to me, William Ford III. So I've been taking that pot around the country uh, since 2001 to talk about the prayer bowls in heaven. Yeah. It was in, uh, you know, Revelation 5 and 8, so there were bowls in heaven full of incense. <laughs> it's all the prayers of the saints. It's a beautiful thing. You know, there's a prayer bowl still over DBU. And, yeah. And there's a prayer bowl over uh, Dallas. There's a prayer bowl over... Over our nation, God's looking for a new generation to resource the prayer bowls because it wasn't just black Christian and slaves praying back then. There were also white Christian abolitionists, mm. revivalists, who knew that if any person was a slave, was a Christian, they knew that person was their brother. And many, many of those revivalists and abolitionists had their houses burned. Many of them were shot, killed, and even lynched, just like those black Christian slaves were, because they chose to suffer with the people of God rather than compromise and wink at slavery. So you hear a lot of people today talk about, oh, you know, let's burn the Bibles. And you see people right. literally doing that because yeah, of what Portland, it's crazy. It's crazy, right? But there are other people who use that same Bible to set a whole nation free. Right. And so we, we've got to be looking at the whole narrative. And that's what I love about the story that God has given man and us is the bigger picture, the bigger narrative. There's a meta narrative going on. Right. And so anyway, so after taking that pot around the country and, and talking about the unity through diversity that God used to birth the first and the second great awakening during that time period, um, I had a dream with Dr. King and it where God dealt with me <laughs> about my unforgiveness issues with yeah. the white community. I'll go to it in greater detail in the book, but suffice it to say, God dealt with me about my unforgiveness issues with the police and also people in the white community in, in the area that I lived in. And so I shared that with my friend, Lou Engel. He said, hey, I'm doing this prayer gathering on MLK Celebration Day. Come, bring that pot, share, share this dream, share your story. But little did I know that God would connect me to, uh, to Matt in one of the most unusual ways. It's amazing. Well, it's amazing to be just in a dream with Martin Luther King Jr. I bet that was just unbelievable. But kind of before we go on to Matt's uh, part of the story, kind of talk about prayer. And oh, yeah. where does prayer fit into our story today? What does the next generation of leaders need to know about the power of prayer and what that has over our country? I think it has an amazing effect over our country. You think about the fact, and a lot of people talk about what happened in 1619. Well, yeah, go back to 1607. What happened in 1607? Well, that's when Robert Hunt landed at Jamestown with, uh, and he, Robert Hunt was the chaplain for that Jamestown company that first landed. They fasted and prayed for three days. And on uh, April the 29th, 1607, he planted a cross there at Jamestown and made a covenant with God to use this land to evangelize all the other nations of the earth mm. and, and release this powerful prayer. And uh, everybody talks about generational curses and they're, they're real and they're powerful. They go three and four generations. But the beautiful thing is this, there are generational blessings that go to at least a thousand generations. Right. <laughs> that means basically forever. The reason why I bring that up is because there is a descendant of Robert Hunt who went on to start uh, a TV network he started an amazing university, and that descendant of Robert Hunt's is uh, Pat Robertson. Mm. So Pat Robertson today, in a sense, is, a, is one of the answers to the prayers of Robert Hunt. I just think God is way more involved uh, in, in, in our lives and, and, and in the history of our country than people realize because of the covenant promises and prayers that were released through, through, through other people. So... Uh, I love what the Archbishop of Canterbury once said. He said, when I pray, the coincidences happen, but when I don't, they don't. 
Yeah. <laughs> in other words, when I pray, the coincidences happen. But when I stop praying, the coincidences stop. The way you kick into what God is doing providentially is to partner with him in the place of prayer. And then all of a sudden things begin to take shape. Things begin to happen. Uncoincidental coincidences start taking place. Mm-hmm. And that's what I saw happen in my life. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that kettle pot in my family comes from Lake Providence. Right. You know, Providence is the continuous activity of God by which we by which he preserves and governs. It's the way God looks over seemingly insignificant things and apparent accidents. God's able to work all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And when you begin to pray, Providence lets you know what's happening behind the scenes. I love that. And I think we just need to to grip that and really just lean into the power of prayer. But back to the kettle, you, you take this kettle and you're going around the country, you're praying, you're, you're presenting yeah. this kettle, you end up, you're at the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? That's right. Steps of the Lincoln Memorial, same place at the March on Washington. Also, if right. I'm not incorrect, enter Matt Lockett. Where, where do you play into the story? How do y'all, how do y'all meet? What does that look like? That was January 17th, 2005. And it was exactly one year to the day uh, before that, that my father unexpectedly passed away. So January 17th, 04. And that really threw me for a tailspin. I've been a Christian since I was a teenager. Um, But, you know, when you lose mom and dad, you know, you've been spending your entire life hearing the stories of who you are and where you came from. But when you lose them, suddenly the the stewardship of that storyline goes to you. And uh, if you're a Christian, uh, if you're a believer, then uh, it's, it's uh, you know, incumbent upon you to ask bigger questions than the average person. You know, see, I'm a believer. I believe that my life has meaning. Right. Uh, I believe your life has meaning. Anybody listening to your podcast, your life has meaning. And, uh, and so during that time, I just was searching, um, asking God some big questions like, who am I? Why am I here? <laughs> yeah. And um, one of the things that became really important to me was to find out uh, where my family had come from. The Lockett family tree was a mystery to us. My dad's one of 16 siblings, but uh, there had been a loss of records. And so we had no idea where our family came from. So I uh, set about that year to try to figure that out, but I ran into all the same problems that everyone in my family had ever ran into. And so I was finishing that year very frustrated, but it was during that time that I had a dream. So here's Will, right? Will's talking about dreams. I'm talking about dreams. Oh boy. I'm not talking about like having like a glorious vision for, you know, (laughs) peace on earth. I'm talking about... I went to sleep at night and felt like the God of the universe was talking my language. Mm. And uh, so uh, I, I had a dream where God began to speak to me about how he was going to shift the culture in America and how he's going to do it through day and night prayer. Mm. Now, you'd asked Will a minute ago about prayer and right. its role. Uh, and, you know, for me, and I think maybe a lot of Christians, if they were really honest, they would, they would agree with me that... Everybody thinks they know about prayer. They know everything intuitively that they need to know about this. But the reality is that we don't Mm. because we don't pray as much as we think we do or that we say we do. And so it takes about five minutes to figure that out if you're leading a prayer meeting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because you run out. And so, you know, I'd been a Christian at that point for most of my life, but really I didn't know anything about prayer and especially not day and night prayer. And so this dream, it was, God was talking to me about something that I didn't already know about. But in this dream, he also talked to me about the ending of abortion. Mm. And 
he, uh, I met a man in my dream named Lou Engle. Now, I didn't know who Lou Engle was. And so that's the same guy that Will was just talking about a moment ago. Right. Um, so this dream really, it had my attention. And, uh, I, you know, I found out there was a real guy named Lou Engle. He's really doing a thing in prayer. And so I reached out to him and he invited me to this prayer gathering that they were going to be doing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial on Martin Luther King Day. So, man, I, I just thought this is weird. I don't know what I'm doing, but I went. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to show up, right? Of course. It's the first step. Yeah. Yeah. And so I showed up. And so right there on the steps of the Lincoln where Dr. King gave the I Have a Dream speech, that's the first place that Will Ford and I ever came together. Amazing. And I didn't know him. He didn't know me. Uh, but he had that big kettle with him. He, you know, he shared that message that day of uh, the kettle and his ancestors uh, who were slaves and had prayed for their freedom. And I was really provoked because I didn't know anything about my family, hmm. you know, and yet I'm listening to this man who has this rich spiritual heritage. Right. And uh, so uh, he shared this detail uh, that evening where he said that that kettle had been handed down to Harriet Lockett. So that kettle came through a Lockett family down to him, Will Ford III. And that really got my attention because yeah. now it's like, I, I just came across the country to a random prayer meeting and I just, you know, heard my last name spoken in this dramatic storyline. So I went up to Will afterwards and we started comparing notes and our, our family spelled the name Lockett differently, one T or two T's. And right. his Lockett's were in Louisiana. Mine were up in Kentucky as best we could figure out. That's where my dad was raised. But it was an amazing coincidence. We thought that it connected us, and so there's that word coincidence we, again. It just, yeah. it just it's not an accident. I don't think it just happened to be there. But keep going. Yeah, we use that word because I think that uh, it, it, you know it's meant to provoke us a little bit. That right. what we're here to say is there are no coincidences. God's in control of every detail of our lives. Right. So Will and I struck up this friendship. Uh, I I went into full time ministry, and so for the last. 15 years, we've just been running together. And uh, you know what we do? We lead prayer meetings. This is the primary thing that we do. We've been doing this for 15 years, praying for revival in America, praying for racial healing. We're praying for a culture of life. Mm -hmm. And uh, lo and behold, God was about to weave this story uh, in a really dramatic turn of events where Will had this kettle of these, uh, this, this memento, this artifact from the past. Right. Uh, and suddenly, uh, I found out that the last battle of the American Civil War was fought in the front yard of a family named Lockett, mm. right in the middle of Virginia. And then right about that time, my brother got breakthrough on our genealogy. And I found out that that uh, location, that Lockett Farm, it's called the Battle of Lockett's Farm. That was actually my family. It's amazing. So here's Will with this kettle from the past. And now I've got this other artifact from the past, this property and the kettle says lock it on it, right? No. It doesn't. So you just know, oh, it, it went through Harriet Lockett. So that's yeah, where the, the yeah. connection is. Yeah, went through Harriet Lockett. Then Harriet Lockett gives Amazing. it to Nora Lockett. Nora Lockett gives it to her son, who was born Lawrence Lockett, but they didn't want him to have a slave name. So they changed my grandfather's name to William Lawrence Ford. Oh, I see. It goes to William Ford Jr., then to William Ford III. So that's how, that's where the Lockett connection is. Okay. Yep. But that's amazing. For, for 10 years, we didn't know that. But, uh, but keep going, man. So Matt finds out that yes, the yes, Civil yes. War basically ends in his family's front yard. And that's it, amazing. It kind of tripped us all out. Like, man, what a cool coincidence. I got this kettle pot. Slaves pray for freedom. 
the front yard of your family's house becomes a place where General Lee fights his last battle, and your front yard became the answer to my forefathers' prayers without what a cool coincidence. Right. <laughs> well, you know, I, I uh, was really uh, intrigued by that whole thing. So I went. That location has been preserved. Mm-hmm. Uh, the locket house is still standing. It's been preserved from the day of battle. So it's still got bullet holes in the sides of the house and, wow. uh, you know, bullets embedded in the door frames inside the house. But I went there and the man that lives there now invited me in and I was shocked when I walked in and framed and hanging on the living room wall is the Lockett family tree. Hmm. I get up my brother's newly found research. This was my family. We confirmed it. It all matched. And he starts telling me a little bit about the Lockett family, about how some had gone to Kentucky, some had gone to the deep South. But then he said this, he said, you know, in, uh, some of the Lockett's went to Louisiana Oh. And in some cases, there was an accidental changing of the spelling of the name uh, in those handwritten ledgers, and they they dropped one of the T's. And so suddenly now a coincidence was taking a shape that was honestly causing me to tremble at what this could possibly mean. And and I was uh, a healthy skeptic of the whole thing, and yet, you know, it probably shouldn't have surprised me, but... I took all this new found research and I went down to Dallas where Will lives and laid it all out. And we just began to discuss things. Yeah. We just kind of talked and prayed and cried really. And then uh, it continued on for the next three or four months. We would just wake up early in the morning and compare research and poke holes and cry and text and and just give this download of all the stuff we were researching. Cause he's a researcher. I'm a researcher. Right. So here, here's the thing. My, like I said, my grandfather was born Lawrence Lockett, but he was changed. His name was changed to William Lawrence Ford. That happened a lot during the times of around uh, around the 1900s. Uh, 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 grandchildren, or whatever, who were born out of slavery, uh, they they would change their names just to shift shift the the, the storyline of their lives. I guess. See, it was common for a slave to take the last name of the one who owned them. Yeah. Right. So, so well, Matt, uh, when he came down, I had a genealogist had actually uh, started doing research for me, and he found what he believed to be my oldest known family member was a man named Lawrence Lockett. He shows up in the 1870 census. Okay. He's living in Lake Providence, Louisiana, which is East Carroll Parish, on this plantation called Sutton Plantation. In that document, he said he was 90 years old. So 1870. I mean. Probably this is the place where this man was a slave. Right. But the interesting thing is this. In that document, he said he was originally from Virginia. Mm. And uh, so we looked in the only Virginia Lockett's in, uh, in Virginia at that time was primarily Matt's family. So we, that led to another year and a half of research. And what we discovered through the empirical evidence that we have is that it was Matt's family who owned our family that killer pot came from oh my gosh i mean it's unbelievable it is it's it's intense so you think about it here's my family there in lake providence praying for the ending of slavery and then all the way up at the farmhouse of the people used to own them slavery comes to in their front yard Hmm. but then because he's the god of the past and the future he takes two people from those same family lines matt lockett and i and and we's our storylines and our lives together so we can war against injustice in our day and cry out for awakening in our time. Mm. Right. And, uh, so this, this, it's amazing. So we kind of sat there for a while and, um, about a year and a half later, we, we learned more about, 
Matt's family, that there was more going on than we realized too. But at first we had to sit with the fact that now I had a face connected to the stories that were passed down from my family. Right. And God gave us two gifts. We like to talk, say it like this. The first gift he gave us was the gift of relationship. Mm. We had 10 years of friendship, 10 years of relationship. And probably had we not had that, um, we wouldn't be traveling and speaking or doing any of the stuff we're doing today. Right. Uh, we would have had a conciliatory maybe relationship. Well, we had conciliation for, for 10 years, but we wouldn't have a reconciled relationship like we have now. We probably just had a, a nice social distance relationship. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, just kind of say hi and bye and hey, how you doing? Okay, good. Ah, the weather's nice. That's great. Mm-hmm. And move on. But God gave us the gift of relationships. So now I find out this stuff and realize his family was a family that gave us that locket name and his family is a family that owned our family. And so now I'm trying to forget how my friend's family could ever have been my enemy. Right. I have a face for these stories of people who were beat to death in my family. And so honestly, I had to go to a deeper level of forgiveness. Mm. I had to go to a deeper level of uh, uh, healing. And uh, we, we, we talked through it, but a lot of it was more like inward soul searching. Right. But, but now, uh, but then too, I learned a lot too about what was it like to be acculturated into being a slave owning family at that time too. So I did a lot of research. And so, you know, the Bible says all you get, you get some understanding. So I, I learned, I learned a lot during that time period. Yeah. And you had even mentioned earlier about some resentment towards the white community that, that mm-hmm. you had met in that dream with MLK. So when you first, when y'all first figured out that Matt's family owned your family just back in the day, what was mm-hmm. that conversation like, or what kind of, what did that, did that shift anything? And so thankful for those 10 years of ministry, but mm-hmm. what was that conversation like? Was there resentment? Was there any sort of, of tug away from, from the joy and the amazement of what it is? Well, you have to understand, like when you make a discovery like that, like yeah. we're we're kind of already wired uh, to to kind of be looking for, you know, an interesting, you know, twist to how God is directing our steps. And so there was a lot of sizzle hmm. uh, to the story and excitement, as you yeah. can imagine. But then once the sizzle kind of wore off, that's when things got real, that's when, uh, you know, the rubber kind of met the road and, you know, it it, it was kind of like that moment of truth where all of a sudden, like I've been listening to the story of the kettle for almost a decade. I've been hearing the stories of, you know, people in his family that were beat to death, you know, the, you know, the struggles that they faced. And, and now suddenly like I'm faced with the fact that I'm connected directly to that story. Mm. And if it's a story with good guys and bad guys, I'm the bad guy. Right. Now, let me explain that. I totally, and this is what happens a lot. And I think the white community is we say, Hey, I wasn't there. You weren't there. You need to get over it. Yeah. And, and uh, it's easy to have a dismissive attitude about the past, about things that we weren't present for. But the reality is I've been listening to this story and it was coming from somebody that I had relationship with and somebody that I love. And so now there's a face that goes with, you know, these stories of pain and struggle. Mm. And so I had to, I had to come to grips with that, that I was directly connected to that in a way that I had no idea. And, and I think that's kind of like a, in a microcosm, that's a little bit of what's going on in America right now. Is, right. You know, we're, we're wrestling over our nation's past mm. and, you know, 
I like what Will just brought up. You know, it's like we have good things at a foundational level, but that that is by no means uh, saying that America is perfect. Obviously, right. Obviously you know, we have not. flawed people that have made a whole host of bad decisions along mm-hmm. the way, but that doesn't mean that that wasn't the original intent. Right. Right. And so for me, God let us sit there for about a year and a half wrestling through the relationship and the realities of that story. But then he took us a little bit deeper. What I found out is when I went back a little bit further, now that my family tree was open, I discovered that um, there was an amazing revival that came to the middle of Virginia during the Revolutionary War. And it touched both the Baptists and the Methodists in that area. And I was reading this history book and it lists the names of men who had been added to the Methodist circuit rider itineracy. And right there in the list is one of my ancestors, Daniel Lockett. Wow. And that was for me, like a, that was like a a revelatory moment in the storyline because the Methodist circuit riders, they were preaching the gospel, but they were also staunch abolitionists. Right. So yeah, my family's got slave owners in in one generation, but if you go back a little bit further, God had already started something else in my family and it was revival and it was abolition. Hmm. Right. Amazing. So it's, it's, it's amazing. It's fascinating. You think about it, it's like all of our families, we have these, these things called generational curses and generational yeah. blessings. Like, like Yeshua met, he has people in his family who own slaves, but then he also had this man who was this revivalist and this yeah. abolitionist in this family. He had blessings and curses in the same family. Same thing for me. I have family members who, you know, uh, 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 prayed underneath the kettle pot for, for people to be free and not preachers and, uh, and others. But then I also had I have family members in prison. I've done stupid stuff I'm not proud of. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. In other words, you have these things called generational curses, generational blessings in all of our families. And they represent these dominating themes of storylines. And I think what God is shouting to America right now is this. What storyline do we want to be a part of? Right. The healing or the hurt, the blessing or the curse. What storyline do we want to be a part of? Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I even I think even when you're talking about the prayer against abortion and where we're at right there is like there was a time where we as a country saw African-American people as three fifths of a human. And as today, I, I can't imagine living in that society. And I truly believe in the future, there's going to be a time when we look back and we cannot believe that we murdered unborn babies and, and, and how that progresses. And, and it's yeah. how do we want the storyline to, to go? What do we want to be a part of when 20 years down the road? What do we want to tell our grandkids we did during this time? Jesus kind of addressed that, didn't he? Where he's talking to the people in his generation and he says, you know, you say that if we had lived in the past, if we'd lived back in the day, we wouldn't have killed the prophets. Right. right. Yeah. He says, but you're decorating the tombs. You're whitewashing it. And, you know, you're, you're basically saying that you approve of what was done. And that's, I think that's where we're at in America right now is we, we look back and we say, man, if, if I had lived during the time of slavery, right. I wouldn't have owned slaves. I would have. I wouldn't. Yep. Yeah. Right. I would have, I would have been right out there protesting and and I would have been a, you know, an abolitionist, but the reality is we're dehumanizing people today. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and, and yeah, it's, a, it's very similar. It's not a conflation at all. It is very similar, uh, like a parallel track that America's on. Yeah. The Lord spoke to me uh, right before I met Matt, uh, began to speak to me about the connection between uh, the moral dilemma of, of, of slavery during that day and the our moral dilemma today, which is, uh, is, is, is the abortion issue. And 
I was in prayer one day and the Lord said to me, William, if I heard the silent whispers of slaves underneath kettle pots, how much more so do I hear the silent screams of babies being aborted in this nation? Mm. And then I well, time to go into it in this podcast, but if right. you think about here, here's the, the New York Planned Parenthood just recently disavowed Margaret Sanger uh, and all of her teaching, you know, and their, their founder because of her eugenics uh, movement and everything. And people forget that eugenics didn't just cover sterilization and abortion, but also covered mass incarceration right. as well. All of that was part of that agenda. And so when you think about it, the, when you start dehumanizing people, it's a scary thing, cause especially with the child in the womb. You can do, when the child in the womb can become dehumanized to a place of being optional, mm. it's inevitable that some of the other people that we can see can also be marginalized, even eliminated, yeah. like we saw right. with, with George Floyd. So this thing starts with the child in the room. So um, we believe, I believe, especially like years ago, the, the litmus test for authentic revival was the ending of slavery. I believe today that the litmus test for authentic revival today would be the ending of abortion. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we contend on it on that front. That's amazing. And I think y'all's story is so special and so unique how these, the son or the, the grandchildren of slaves and the, and the great, great grandchildren of slaveholders come together on the same place where MLK said, I have a dream that one day in the Red Hills of Georgia, that the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will sit down together at the table of brotherhood. And that's what you guys get to do. This is the manifestation of MLK's dream. Can you believe like what, talk about just the weight of that and what that, what that means. And y'all, y'all get to carry that as a torch in, in a world that needs it and is is crying out for hope and for reconciliation for revival to kind of talk about the weight of being the manifestation of MLK's dream. Yes, yeah, it's, it's powerful. Uh, you know, I've heard a good friend of ours said it this way. He said maybe that dream speech wasn't poetry. Maybe it was prophecy. Right. In other words, maybe it wasn't poetic. Maybe it was prophetic in this sense. And when you think about where that dream speech came from, it came from a prayer meeting. Yeah. A lot of people don't know it, but he, uh, Dr. King was in a prayer meeting with a little girl uh, named Prathia Hall, where the the, uh, the, uh, uh, ch- the church that had been burned down by the Ku Klux Klan, mm. and she starts praying, I have a dream. Yeah. <laughs> she, to this rhythmic cadence, Dr. King comes up to her and says, hey, uh, can I borrow that <laughs> little phrase? <laughs> and so he used it in prayer meetings for a whole year, and then he uh, used it at at a, at, a, at a gathering he did in Washington in a speech for the first time, Mahalia Jackson just happened to be there. So he gets to the, to the, to the mall in Washington, August 28, 1963. His speechwriters told him, hey, why don't you leave that, that, I have a dream stuff, leave that out. Let's just stay with Imagine you. Imagine if you would have listened. Stay yes. on your talking points. Stay on your talking yeah. points. So he finished reading his speech, and then once he's through, once he's through Mahalia Jackson leans over and says, Martin, tell him about the dream. <laughs> then he kicks it to, ah, I have a dream. Yeah. And the rest is history. But listen, it goes back to what we t- started talking about, Zach. That phrase was birthed in prayer. Mm. You know, that's the, the, the places we need to go right now have to be birthed out of, out of prayer. That's, that's the only thing that's going to initiate the healing of our nation right now. And so yep. in actuality, we're the, we're, the, we're the fruit, yeah, of Dr. King's speech, but we're also the fruit. We're the living manifestation and others of John 17, mm-hmm. where Jesus said, Father, I pray that they will be one so that your glory could come, so that the world would believe. God's going to answer his son's prayer. Yeah. You know, Jesus has yeah. been so good to us. He's answered so many of our prayers. It's time for us to answer his, and this is how we can do it. By the church. Yeah, I don't think it's an accident that Will and I met 
in a prayer meeting. Exactly. That every bit of our story is 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 a is an indicator. It's a it's a signpost for what God is wanting to do right now. Yeah. You know what what Dr. King talked about when he says you know this he talks about this table of brotherhood. And, uh, you know, uh, the question I've had is, you know, what's it going to take to get us to that table? Yeah. And, uh, you know, first Peter four, verse eight, it, it says, love covers a multitude of sins. And I believe that, that God is wanting to release a love in the body of Christ that, that will draw us to that table. But here's, here's the plot twist. He's going to turn the table of brotherhood into a table of communion. Mm. Love's going to draw us to the table, but the blood of Jesus is going to wash our sins white as snow. And I think this is this is what we're praying for right now is for a great communion revival yeah. to hit this nation. I think that that uh, it's going to uh, be in the midst of this uh, darkness that we're facing and wrestling through right now. I believe it's a time of reckoning for America where we have to uh, face our moment of truth with the sins of the past, but. There's a love. There's a love that can get us to a table so that we can move forward together. And, I, and I'm just, I'm in so much faith right now for revival in America, more than I've ever been. Yeah, that, I totally agree with you. And that love is what's going to mend the, the divisions in our country, whether it's left, right, black or white. It, it, love is what mends and love is, it covers a multitude of sins like what you'd said. But kind of your story is amazing, but I don't want to just tell the story. I want to know where we go from here. What do we learn from that? What does that love practically look like in, the, in, in where we're living today? What, what do we do with the information we've heard and the story and the inspiration that we've received from y'all's amazing providential story where do we go from here you know it's about relationship yeah. you know god gave matt and i a gift it was the gift of relationship and i think that's where we need to go with this this is going to happen to me one kitchen table at a time one dinner table at a time it's going to happen in our homes it's going to happen uh, in our workplaces it's us making the attempt intentionally to cross ethnic lines uh and, and connect with each other. Now, the church has done, believe it or not, a better job of this than, than people realize. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin the King and both uh, 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 Dr. Graham, Billy Graham, Graham. Said, the, said the same thing, that Sunday morning is the most segregated day of, uh, of, of the week. But that's changed a lot. You think yeah. about what happened with Promise Keepers. You think about a lot of other reconciliation efforts that happened with amazing men like John Perkins and, and other people and what, Coach McCartney did and his leadership team with Promise Keepers. We've now seen probably now uh, more than ever, more ethnically diverse churches now than we've ever seen before. But what has happened with uh, the movement of reconciliation is that it hadn't uh, moved into this whole area of, of reformation with society. So some of the other things that needed to be touched, like prison reform, some of the other things that needed to be touched with other social systems that uh, weren't impacted by believers entering into those different places in the marketplace, they hadn't been touched. So now we're, look, we're looking at the residual effects of schools becoming a pipeline to prison, uh, uh, draconian uh, prison sentences from the, you know, the war on drugs and other things. That 40 years of a generation being warehoused brought about this pent-up frustration. And now now we, we, we're here where we are right now. But I think right now we're in a time of uh, people are... Uh, uh, are you know really looking to 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 bring healing to this thing, and and it really 
really focused way, but the most, uh, the, the greatest lasting effect of that is going to be one relationship at a time. Yeah. Uh, and, and we can't categorize everybody, not every white person racist and, uh, and not every, uh, not every uh, 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 black person is a perpetual victim kind of thing. Right. Uh, but it's us connecting with each other and learning each other individually. And that's, that's what's going to bring the greatest amount of healing. It's, in other words, it's going to take some work. Yeah. yeah there's no, no magic paintbrush for this. And uh, the other ace up God's sleeve, I believe, is revival. I think that we could be very well on the cusp of a powerful spiritual awakening. Mm. Um, Matt and I were talking about this a couple of days ago and it's before, you know, you see a great awakening and all those different moves, there was a rude awakening that happened first. Right. And I think that's, that's where we are right now. Mm. Matt, any final words on just where we go from here from you? Yeah. For anybody listening to your podcast, I want to say this, that, you know, everybody's always looking for the next best thing. They're looking for, you know, what, what's going to make them stand out and be original. And uh, I think we're in a moment right now where God's looking for successors mm. to the work that he's already begun. And so what, what we need to understand right now is that God, God has unfinished business that he's already started in our yesterday. And so rather than looking for the next best thing, a, a really good prayer to pray is God connect me with your unfinished business. That's the whole storyline of Hebrews 11 is God will start something. He'll give promises to uh, people of faith, but it says that they didn't receive what was promised so that without us, apart from us, that they wouldn't be made perfect, right? God will start something in one generation and he'll complete it exponentially in a more powerful way in a later generation. Mm -hmm. So in a time when everything looks hopeless and it looks like the darkness is increasing, uh, I'm just daring to believe that God's about to lift the curtain all over the place and connect us with his unfinished business. And that, I believe, it's like Will said, I believe revival's the ace up his sleeve, but the way that you kick up into that dimension is through prayer. Mm. None of this happened until Will and I prayed. Mm. And, and the same is true for any of your podcast listeners, that, that if you begin to pray and pray in that way, God, connect me to your unfinished business. He's going to do that. And I believe it's going to open up a new dimension uh, to the body of Christ uh, that, that is uh, probably going to be exponentially more powerful than anything we could have imagined. Mm. I mean, if you are listening right now, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're inspired by the story of, of reconciliation, the story of triumph and, and of hope and of love. And, and we know that change does not always start on Capitol Hill, but it starts around your dining room table, like you said. And, and we hope that this will push you forward in that and to, and to grow in intimacy and finding people that don't necessarily look like you and knowing that, hey, we are all Americans. We are all Christians. Or we may not be. We might be a pre-Christian. But we all are loved by the same God. And uh, so, Matt and Will, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story with me. Oh, Zach, thank you so much. And uh, uh, shout out to everybody at DBU. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. yeah. Go thank Patriot. you so much. Thank you. Well, if you love that story of God's ability to reconcile, redeem, and restore broken relationships and broken history, you've got to check out their book called The Dream King, How the Dream of Martin Luther King Jr. is Being Fulfilled to Heal Racism in America by Will Ford and Matt Lockett. Don't miss it. Got to check it out anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Check it out on Goodreads. If you like this story, you're going to love the book. Go check it out.